So yeah, uh, thank you, Joanne. That was great. That was beautiful. So uh, yeah, this is the uh, this is the fifth Sunday of the season that we call Lent in the Christian Church, and and we've got a lot of visitors here today. And I recognize the fact that uh, a lot of y'all probably have have never been exposed to this idea. You may not may or may or may not be from a church tradition that that, that recognizes or that. Uh, the season of Lent, or, or that's a part of your history, or you may not be a part of any church tradition whatsoever. So um, let me just kind of give you an idea. Basically, Lent is a 40-day is a period. Uh, it's the 40-day period prior to Easter, and we generally observe it through a lot of things. We observe it through self-reflection. Uh, we observe it through the practices of confession. We preserve, uh, observe it from the, through the practices of, uh, of repentance, and, and a lot of prayer, a lot, a lot of deep prayer. It's a, it's a time of deep soul-searching where we really explore where we are in our relationship with God, where we are in our relationship with other people, uh, where we are in our relationship and our walk with Christ, and we explore these areas of our lives where we may be struggling. Maybe it's some sin that we're struggling with, or maybe it's just some area of our life where we happen to be stunted in our walk with God and in our spiritual growth. So that's just kind of the idea of what this whole thing about Lent is. So over the last several weeks, uh, the last four weeks, we've talked about a number of aspects around this idea of Lent. Uh, we talked about the practice of confession. We talked about the practice of repentance. We talked about knowing, really knowing who Jesus is. And, and we talked about our calling to follow him in every area of our life. Last week, we talked about the second coming of Christ. And we talked about his instructions for us to always be prepared uh, for that event to happen. In the meantime, however, and that's what was our focus last week, we all recognize that, second, that the second coming of Christ is something we all believe in. It's the, hope, it's, the, it's the hope of our Christian tradition is the restoration of, of God's of creation to, where, to what it was usually originally intended, intended to be. So we look forward to that event, but the basis of what we talked about last week is what do we do in the meantime? In the meantime, we continue to grow in Christ's likeness. We continue to carry out Jesus' greatest commandment to be and to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to go into all lands, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that Christ has commanded us. That's what we do in the meantime. And uh, I just think I just thought it was such an important theme to explore. And if y'all remember right, if y'all were here, I read to you a quote about this. And I, and I want to read it to you one more time before we get into what we're going to talk about today uh, for our visitors or for those folks who weren't, who weren't able to be here last week or you haven't been able to watch it on uh, video. Because this, 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 uh, this, this quote just sums up everything that, I was, everything that we were talking about last week, about this, what do we do, you know, what's our role in this, uh, this in-between time, so to speak, this time where we're waiting for Christ's return. Um, and I can't even remember who wrote this, but this, this is what the author wrote. He said, we don't wait idly for Jesus' return, nor do we use it as an opportunity to engage the flesh. Instead, we live as new, transformed human beings who take advantage of the divine delay of Christ's return. I love the way that that author put that. That's so cool to me, the divine delay. He's choosing to do this. The divine delay of Christ's return for when we join in God's redemptive purpose. While we're here, we live out our days bearing witness to Jesus, continuing his mission, fighting back the powers of darkness, hastening the day when God's purposes will be fully accomplished. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful quote that is. And uh, I just encourage you guys to do that, to recognize that. What do we do in the meantime? We do what we do. What's our mission? To be disciples, to make disciples. So Easter is just two weeks away, and as we know, on Easter we practice some or we observe something that is the absolute 
foundation of our faith, Christianity 101, if you will. We celebrate what in the church is referred to often as the atonement. Now, that's a big theological word. What the atonement basically means is that we recognize, we observe, and we celebrate the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the absolute foundation of what everything about Christianity is all about, and we, and, and we get to celebrate that. We believe that Jesus was literally murdered. We believe that Jesus literally raised from the, was literally raised from the dead, and through that sacrificial act, the powers of evil are defeated. Our sins are forgiven. Our sins are wiped clean, and we're able to live in that right, in that reconciled relationship with God. We're going to talk about that, obviously, a little more in two weeks on Easter Sunday. But for today, I want to touch just briefly, just for a few minutes here, on that aspect of God, the aspect of God that is behind this incredible gift that we've been given. In the church, Joanne, it's what we refer to as grace. The grace of God, the almighty grace of God. Let me... Let me start by, by uh, talking about this for a minute, because this, is, this has come up in conversation. Uh, we've had some great Bible studies recently, and we, we wrestle with a lot of Scripture, and I've had a, lot of, um, a number of uh, conversations that have occurred um, outside of that Bible study, and this, this kind of seems to be a common thing. So I want to I just touch on this real quick, but something we all need to understand when it comes to the grace of God is uh, and I've told you this, guys, you know before, but but it, it's it, it's worth repeating. You know there and there is no such thing as an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. What are you talking about? Well, they're one and the same, and I think that people struggle a lot with that idea because it seems that a lot of times that the God in the New Testament that's presented is a lot more loving, a lot more kind than the God is, that is presented in the Old Testament. I think that kind of messes people up sometimes. We struggle a lot when we read about the God in the Old Testament, and we read a lot about these ideas of wrath and judgment, and, uh, and that's okay. We should struggle with it. But know this, God doesn't change. The character of God is unchangeable. The essence of God is unchangeable. So the God that you're reading about in the Old Testament is absolutely the same God, the same God of grace, reconciliation, mercy, forgiveness that we're reading about in the New Testament. So what's the point of you getting that? What are you getting that, Pastor? God did not pour out his grace. God did not only pour out his grace and his mercy in the New Testament. God has always been a God of grace and mercy. Since the beginning. So, you know, like I was talking about Lent a minute ago, it's, it's important that we practice self-examination. It's important that, uh, that, that we practice um, some deep soul-searching, but it's equally important to recognize that on the other end of that, on the other end of confession, repentance, soul-searching, all that stuff, is the waiting grace of God, the waiting grace of God's mercy, the waiting grace of God's forgiveness. Look at what God said about himself in the book of Exodus. Let me back up just a second. Talking about this Old Testament God that people sometimes confuse. Let me read to you something that God actually said about himself in the book of Exodus. Keep in mind, this is actually God describing who God is. But in Exodus 34, he says this. God describes himself as a compassionate and a gracious God, 
slow to anger, abounding in love, and abounding in faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, forgiving rebellion, and forgiving sin. That's how God describes himself in the book of Exodus, folks, one of those books that we're so afraid of sometimes. God doesn't change. He's the same God now as he was in the beginning. I want to read to you uh, a prayer out of the book of Psalms, Psalms 130. And one of the reasons I chose this psalm is because it kind of goes along with what I just talked to you about. If you didn't know, the psalms were written a long time (laughs) prior to the arrival of Jesus Christ. They were written a long, long time prior to there ever being any conception of there ever even being a New Testament. But the author of Psalm 130 recognized that he served, or she served, a God of grace, a God of love, a God of mercy. But it's Psalm 130, and I'm just going to read that to you. Um, Let's do this. Y'all didn't get enough standing time this morning. Let's... uh, Let's stand this morning in reverence for the reading of God's word. This is is the entire psalm. Starting in verse 1, the psalmist writes, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. In his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love. With him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all our sins. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, y'all. Y'all can have a seat. Psalm 130 is one of, the, uh, one of the many psalms that you find throughout, throughout the 150 psalms uh, that's sometimes referred to as one of the penitential prayers or the penitential psalms. Now, that word penitential is basically synonymous. It's basically the same word as repentance. So that means there's somebody in this, in this psalm who is, uh, who's praying a prayer of confession. They're praying a prayer of repentance. And again, you find these throughout, throughout, the, throughout, throughout the book of Psalms. This, this is just one of them. But he begins his prayer by saying this. Can we go back to verse 1? Yeah, we're good. All right. (laughs) Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. The depths. That word depths there is a metaphor that means complete and utter misery. Complete and utter anguish. Complete and utter, utter agony for this person's sins. I cry out to you, Lord, from the depths. This person is hurting. This person is in pain. This person has done something or some things wrong or they failed to do something they should have, whatever their sin is, we don't know. But their heart is wrenched, man, and they are going to God in desperation. That's one of the things I've told my church before that I love about the book of Psalms is the raw emotion that you can sense. You can almost feel it just jumping off the pages of, this, of, these, of the book sometimes. This is hands down the most honest book in the Bible. This is the most human book in the Bible. People aren't afraid to get down and dirty in the psalm, so to speak. They cry out to God in 
pain and suffering and anguish. They cry out to God oftentimes in frustration and misery. They question God. This is a very human book. And that's what we see right here in the first line. Dear God, I cry out to you from the depths in utter misery. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry of mercy. Guilt-ridden, desperate, inconsolable about whatever it is he, he, might, he or she may have committed. Y'all said them prayers before, hadn't you? I have. There's ones where you come sliding in your knees, running into the house, sliding out on your knees. I've said those. But then we see it. This is, this, is what, this is what the whole thing is about today. Then we see what happens. We see God's grace just kind of explode onto the scene. After crying out to God, after confessing their sins, their brokenness, the author recognizes the ultimate essence of God, which is what? Love. Author writes, If you, Lord, kept a record of our sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. He goes on in verse 7 to write, With the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. I don't ever, ever, ever want to uh, discount the seriousness of sin. Understand this, there's always consequences for sin. Always. There's always going to be some kind of consequence for sin. Absolutely. Sin hurts God. Sin hurts us. And vast majority of the time, sin is hurting or hurts another person or another people. Sometimes it even hurts a whole community of people. Sin is painful. Sin is bad. <laughs> God doesn't want us to hurt ourselves. Though. And he certainly doesn't want us to hurt other people. Every single person that's in this congregation this morning has some kind of sin in their lives. Sometimes it's obvious to us. Sometimes it's, it's not so obvious to us. Sometimes it lingers there below the surface. This, again, is why we practice these ideas of self-reflection, confession, repentance during the season of Lent, as we should do throughout the year, obviously. At the same time, though, here's where the grace comes in. At the same time, time we recognize we accept and we receive God's mercy God's love and God's grace now if that seems like a weird double standard it's not that is the biggest balancing act I've ever seen you know John the author of the gospel of John says that Christ came to us full of grace and full of truth now we could meditate on that for a long time and just think about it for a second Jesus Christ, who is God in human form, showed us what it looks like to walk in grace and truth, what it looks like to work to balance out this life of, of, of love, mercy, forgiveness, those types of things, with the law of God. So as we search ourselves, and it may be painful to search ourselves, by the way. It should be painful. And I think I touched on that a few weeks back. If you truly want to grow in grace, if you truly want to grow in your relationship with Christ, it's going to hurt. Growth is always painful. Growth is not comfortable. 
Growth is not comfortable. So when we're going through this process of soul searching, when we're going this, through this process of, of uh, trying to figure out, you know, what, 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 are, what are some of my sins? You know, we're really our heart sins. You know, some of our outward sins are more, they're, they're pretty obvious. But really searching our hearts, you know, what's in my heart? Is there hatred in my heart? Is there unkindness in my heart? Is there a lack of generosity in my heart? Those types of things. How are my relationships? Am I living out my relationship in accordance or in... Am I mirroring the mind and the heart of Christ in my relationships, the way that I move throughout the world? Those are the kind of questions that we ask ourselves as we go through this process. And it's going to hurt. We're going to have to admit some stuff that we probably don't want to admit. We're probably going to have to change some stuff about our lives that we don't want to change about our lives. So we do that. We search. We confess. And we repent. I'll talk to you about repentance in just a second. But understand all that. We don't do that for the sake of... God, God, doesn't, God doesn't... You know, we don't do that for the sake of beating ourselves up. It's going to be painful. It's going gonna, it's gonna to stink. It's going to sting. But it's not for the purpose of beating ourselves up. It's not for the purpose of harshly judging ourselves. And it's not for the purpose of condemnation. It's for the purpose of growth. It's because God cares about us that much. He doesn't want to see us hurting ourselves. He doesn't want to see our sin hurting other people. And this is the process that we have to go through. We have to go through this searching. We have to go through this confession, this period of growth. But what happens when we do that? On the other side of that is the God, grace of God that's just waiting for us. God's just waiting for us. Where you been, Jerry? I've been waiting on you, man. God wants to pour out that love. He wants to pour out that grace. He wants to pour out that mercy on us all day long. He's just waiting for us. He's just waiting for us. God has always been a God of grace. Understand this, folks. God's grace is always bigger and greater than our sin. Somebody give me an amen on that one. Now, if all this talk about confession and repentance kind of freaks you out a little bit, maybe it scares you a little bit, maybe it puts a bad taste in your mouth, let me, I'm going I'm to remind you guys um, for something that I said a couple, a couple weeks ago we first touched on this subject. I don't want you to be afraid of that word repentance. I know when you hear that word a lot of times we... we, we kind of envision these, we have these visions of this fiery hell and brimstone preacher pointing a finger in your face, telling you to repent. It scares, scares the mess out of us. I don't think God wants to scare the mess, I don't think God wants to scare the mess out of us. I think God just wants us to do some soul searching. Here's what it means to repent. Repentance is not a finger in your face. Repentance is not some me, me standing up here giving you some kind of condemnation as if, as if my stuff don't stink. Repentance literally means, literally, a literal translation of the word repentance means to rethink. That's what that word means. It means to rethink. Rethink what, Pastor? Rethink how I'm living. Rethink how I'm thinking. Rethink how my relationships are. Am I thinking? Am I speaking? Am I acting in accordance with what I know is God's perfect will for my life? What is God's perfect will for my life? Very, very simple. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus condensed that for us. 
Love God and love your neighbor. How am I loving my neighbor? How am I loving God? Now those, you can start asking some hard questions. But to rethink just means that. It means to do a 180. Hey, my thoughts on this are not good. They're not in accordance with God's will. Hey, I'm not loving my neighbor like I should. I'm going to turn that around. I'm going to give that to God, and I'm going to turn that around. That's what it means to repent. Recognizing these things in our lives, these areas in our lives where we fall short, and just taking a, taking a, taking a U-turn, turning around. That's all it means, folks. We have a God who cares. That's the good news about this message. That's the good news about grace is we have a God who genuinely cares about us. God does not hate people, folks. God does despise sin, though. And he also despises what it does to us. So when God initiates that conviction in your hearts of these areas of your lives where maybe you're falling short a little bit, God's looking out for your best interest. God's always looking out for our best interest. To repent is to recognize that conviction and to experience that change of heart through the grace of God. One more quote, and I think again that I gave my congregation this a couple weeks back, but it's another really good one because I want you, I want you to walk out of here with, with <laughs> I want you to walk out of here excited about repentance and not scared about repentance. I love this. Y'all know my church knows that I love talking about confession and repentance because I've experienced them, man. I've experienced these things, and I know I know as bad as it hurts. I know it bad, as bad as it sinks for me to have to admit these areas in my life where I fall short, where my heart is not in the right place. It hurts, it's painful, it stinks, it stings every single time. But I know on the other side of that is the grace of God, man. I know that on the other side of that, God's just waiting for me. And he's just waiting to transform my heart. I've seen it too many times not to know that. Painful, but on the other side, man, is absolute glory. People dislike the call to repentance because they do not understand what repentance means. Repentance does not mean self-torment, nor does it mean being judged by others. It means turning away from the corruption of fallen humankind and letting our hearts be moved by the atmosphere of the kingdom of God. Anyone, and this is, this is, where, this is where I'm coming from with that, and I hope that some of y'all can relate to some degree or another. Anyone who has gone through true repentance knows that it makes the heart melt like wax. What a great statement, man. What a great statement. Church, don't be afraid to approach God with your sins. God knows your sins already. Don't be afraid of God. If, and, and I thought about this this morning, and I didn't, I didn't put it in my notes, you know, but I, I've told my church, you know, kind of the, kind of the, kind of the church atmosphere that I, brought, that I particularly was brought up in. And uh, it can put a bad taste in your... If you're brought up like I was, it can put a bad taste in your mouth like God. But if you, if you were brought up in a tradition similar to my own and, and you've got some weird impression that God is kind of an abusive parent just waiting to beat you, he's not. He's waiting to love you. But he's giving you that choice. God is on your side. Don't be afraid to approach him with your sins, your shortcomings, your struggles. God's ultimate character is one of forgiveness, mercy, love, and reconciliation. Trust what God says about him. If you don't believe me, if somebody in your lifetime has told you something different, 
for the love of all that's holy. Trust what God actually says about himself. From what I read you from the book of Exodus this morning. Do I need to repeat it? Let me repeat it. Let me repeat it. This is what God says about himself, folks. And I will find it. probably could have looked it up in the, in the Bible faster than this. God describes himself as a God of, of grace and compassion. A compassionate. He says, I am a God of compassion and gracious. I'm slow to anger. I am abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands. Forgiving wickedness. Forgiving rebellion forgiving sin. If you don't trust what I tell you about God, maybe you'll believe the voice of God himself. God's waiting for you. And that's what grace is all about. Trust what he says about himself. Trust as the psalmist wrote today. My whole being waits for the Lord. In his word I put my hope. With him is full redemption. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning, God, as we, as we look forward to Easter Sunday, as we look forward to uh, what is the foundation, God, of Lord, of our faith, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ Jesus, who frees us from sin, who defeats all powers of evil and death, and reconciles us to you. God, may we search ourselves. May we have the desire to search ourselves wholly, authentically, deeply, May we identify those areas of our lives, those areas where, of our walks with you that may be suffering, that may be where we may have shortcomings, where we may have sins. Help us to identify those areas, God. Help us to give those areas to you. Help us to make that 180-degree turn. And help us to realize that this isn't for our condemnation, God. This is for your glory. This is, this is because we know that your love and your grace is just waiting for us on the other side of all that. Thank you so much for this morning, God. Thank you for your presence here with us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.